Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Andrew, very much. Always enjoy uh, the substantial weight of the Word of God in everything you do when you lead us in worship. I know it's very precious and close to your heart, and it gives us anchor to get off our feet. Buzzwords. What's your least favourite buzzword? Either shout it out or mutter it to someone next to you. <laughs> no, come on, that's too good. To... What did Jane laugh at? Somebody behind me said Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Is that the only one? Your least favourite buzzword before you align yourself politically. What's a buzzword? Ah, that's good. Buzzword is a buzzword. Who's going to explain what a buzzword is? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a it's a word that we it sort of makes sense to us, but it's become a cliche and uh, um, and is very popular in these days. So Brexit is a good example. And uh, well, that's yeah. There's there's one exactly. That's not not much fun, is it? Which is your spouse's favourite buzzword? <laughs> Whatever is going to be said out loud now is going to create difficult conversations at lunchtime. I know, but you needn't have told everybody. This morning, I. Settle down now, please. This morning, I seek your permission to use a buzzword. It's not sea change or paradigm or synergy. It's not benchmarking or intentional or platform. It's integral mission. I know, you've probably heard me use it before. It's not a biblical phrase, Uh, But there again, neither are evangelism, missional communities, home groups, revival, and we've used all them often enough. So I want to, uh, and I really don't mind if we never use the expression integral mission ever again, as long as we can understand what it's trying to say, what the weight is behind it. Integral mission or holistic mission is a term coined in the 1970s in Latin America uh, to describe an understanding of Christian mission which embraces both evangelism and social responsibility. A lot of people have um, tussled over this in the corridors of power, such as the International Congress of World Evangelism, um, MICA Network Coalition, it's become quite a, a topic for discussion amongst um, missiologists, those who 
really want to understand what the mission of God is on earth. The Micah Declaration on Integral Mission states, Integral Mission or Holistic Transformation is the proclamation and the demonstration of the gospel. It's not simply that evangelism and social involvement are to be done alongside each other. Rather, in integral mission, our proclamation has social consequences as we call people to love and repentance in all areas of life. And our social involvement has evangelistic consequences as we bear witness to the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's all about words and deeds and the fact that we can't do one without the other. So the mission of Jesus and the early church was truly integral. So one Sabbath day, as was his custom, Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth where he was brought up. Typical day, typical synagogue, typical Sunday morning meeting. But he stood up and he quoted from Isaiah 61, which incidentally, Elizabeth, I thought when you read that this morning, we cannot have any richer words this morning than just that pure scripture. I almost felt like saying, just, just let's leave it at that. It was beautiful. It really was wonderful to, to, to see um, the anointing that God has given. But So Jesus stood up. He quoted from Isaiah 61, And he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll mid-sentence, gave it back to the attendant and sat down ready to teach. The wide eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and a shiver of anticipation and expectation went down their spines as he looked up and he told them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's in Luke chapter 4. In other words, and slightly amplified words, Jesus was simply saying, my father and I are interested in everything. Every aspect of your lives, be it your salvation, your health, your education, your livelihood, your home, your protection, your hobbies. And there is no person that we do not love and want the very best for, be it the poor, the prisoner, the blind, or the oppressed. And what's more, we're interested in every aspect of your society, not just you as individuals, but collectively, be it in terms of its justice, its politics, its social structures, its arts, its culture, its economy. And I don't know if you noticed this, but in that very practical but very brief discourse, Jesus still used the word proclaim three times. And we'll come back to that if we've got time at the end. But it's not merely the comfortable companionship of proclamation and demonstration, word and deed, that we are considering here. It's the whole of life that needs this practical and spiritual integration. Our gospel can only become integral if our own lives are integral. So we know from Romans 8 and verse 28 that in all things, 
God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And there lies the title of this talk. Not just in spiritual things, whatever they are, but in all things. So we know that through Jesus, all things were made. John chapter 1 and verse 3. We know that the Father placed all things under his control, John 13. And that all things were committed to him by the Father. Jesus also talked about the restoration and the renewal of all things. We read in Ephesians that he fills everything in every way. And that one day all things will be united in him. So throughout the epistles we read this same expression and it's really rewarding to do a simple New Testament Bible study based on the expression all things whilst focusing on the fact that God and his kingdom wants to and needs to and does whether we want it to or not impact every single area of our lives. This is wonderful news for those who've laid their whole lives down before Jesus. But it is rather scary news for those who quietly determine to hold parts of their life back in the darkness. All things. Micah chapter 6 summarises integral mission wonderfully, gives us three key words which outline what the Lord requires of us, not just personally, um, but also in our relationships, meaningful relationships, and in our role within society, all in one scripture. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to do, but to, sorry, of you, but to do justice or act justly, to love mercy or kindness or loyalty in some versions, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the commission of the church and of every believer. It's an invitation to please God by doing what is required of us. Firstly, an action to do justice in the way we engage with our society. That's our role within society, justice to uh, social righteousness, if you like, in a nutshell. Secondly, it's an attitude to love mercy or kindness or loyalty in the way that we treat one another in the meaningful relationships that are around us, slightly smaller circle. And then thirdly, a journey to walk, to walk humbly in the intimacy of our own walk with him. So it's like three circles getting smaller and smaller. Have you noticed? Once more, it's, it's in a different order, but this is the up, the in, and the out of the gospel, talking of buzzwords. And today we're focusing on the out, if you like, the way we engage with society. However, in our engagement with society individually and as churches, we can very easily fall into one of two errors. Either we become disengaged or we become conformed. We become, when we become disengaged, we're neither in the world or of it. We become so separate from the culture that we embrace the language and the lifestyle of a ghetto or an enclave. We develop an inward-looking defensive siege mentality and do not engage comfortably with those around us. Rather than the hospital, the school and the army that it's meant to be, the church 
for us eventually becomes merely a club. But when we become conformed, the other error, we are both in the world and of it. We are so determined to engage with society that we become conformed to its values, becoming indistinguishable from the people we are trying to reach. We become so absorbed by the culture that we become identified by it and lose our distinctiveness and prophetic edge. So rather than the worship, the discipleship and the mentoring environment that it's meant to be, the church for us eventually becomes an irrelevance. So we don't want to manipulate people by our good works. We don't want to bully them with our words. We don't want to confuse them with our carnality. We don't want to alienate them with our spirituality. In our efforts to get this right, love is the key. Uh, I work with, uh, from time to time with Cheryl Hoare, the international director of Micro Global, and she recently said, the essential key to move us beyond the polarisation between evangelism and social action is love. Love compels me to respond to another human being in need. I have no hidden agenda to use the response as bait to evangelise, nor do I respond to simply manifest the kingdom. I respond because I love. Similarly, I share the good news of Jesus and I call people to follow him because I love them and I know that life in Christ is life. Wanting the very best for each person made in the image of God means ensuring that they have the opportunity to know Christ. And a final word on this from Micah Network. If we ignore the world, we betray the word of God, which sends us out to serve the world. If we ignore the word of God, we have nothing to bring the world. Justice and justification by faith, worship and political action, the spiritual and the material, personal change and structural change belong together. As in the life of Jesus, being, doing and saying are at the heart of our integral task. So that's my discourse, if you like, and I just want to appeal to you on two counts um, in the second half of this. And the first is an appeal for us to be faithful Uh, to the proclamation of the gospel. I I fear that since perhaps the turn of the 21st century, a pendulum has swung and an imbalance has taken place. So keen are we to be authentic in our demonstration of the gospel that we've lost the art and the determination and the confidence to proclaim the gospel. I see this in the life of everyday Christian believers and even in the rationale of some local churches and uh, Christian NGOs that I work with. I sense that for a couple of decades, the church has, and very necessarily, had to think long and hard about ensuring that its actions are compatible with the gospel that it proclaims. As with the impact of 19th century evangelicals who pioneered, pioneered so much of the social action that was implemented for the improvement of health education, prison reform, vulnerable children, anti-slavery, we can, albeit in more subtle and often more local ways, 
still clearly see that the church is also impacting today's society with a wave of practical, compassionate Christian initiatives that have very positively impacted communities around the world. Food banks and debt counselling support groups for the elderly are typical programmes of many local churches. And if you think back just a few short years to David Cameron's domestic policy of big society, 2010 to 2013, that lent very heavily on the goodwill of local churches to do things in their communities that he knew no politician could have hoped to achieve. However, whilst we've made great progress in demonstrating our gospel, the same probably cannot be said about proclaiming it. I beg you, please prove me wrong, but right now, I don't honestly think it's within the expectation, or maybe perceived anyway, to be within the capability of most churchgoers to lead someone to Christ. Shocking? It seems to me that the parts of our society that currently speak the loudest, for example through media and popular culture, have totally abandoned God and are deeply, cynically secular. I collected several topical examples specifically for this talk. Then last night I thought, or maybe the Holy Spirit said, but at least I thought, why give them more airtime? So you know what I mean. But my point is this, as a result of this secularism, we have become reticent to talk about sin and its consequences and to proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ for fear of being perceived as exclusive or bigoted or something phobic. We have become unwilling to rock the boat of political correctness and social acceptability, instead leaving the proclamation of the gospel to a few wacky experts who we call evangelists. This has meant that many of our neighbours and our work colleagues and our relatives, most of whom actually in their heart of hearts have very little sympathy for what the media tells us is now normal and to be celebrated, have been denied the opportunity to discover Jesus for themselves. So it's one thing for us to live in a way that helps people observe the impact of the gospel and even to be impressed. But it's another thing to speak in a way that helps people respond to Jesus personally and actually walks that journey with them from darkness into light as a decision today. Your actions set it all up wonderfully, but your words rarely bang it home. We need both the deeds and the words. As Paul says in Romans 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? So I suggest that this is the time to be amazingly, publicly proud once more of Jesus and his gospel. To talk confidently of the love, the power, the grace and the mercy of Jesus as well as of the offensiveness of the cross. And to hone our skills at verbally engaging with those around us and with compassion and with clarity, bringing them to the point of decision for the sake of the gospel. And then there's one other thing which I want to leave with. It's very, very brief. And then have a little wriggle because I'm going to get you to do some homework. 
before you go home. I want you to respond just in groups of two or three in a minute. So wake up. Um, and it's, I, I refer to Paul in Romans 15. He said that he saw his task in Christ as leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders. Does that colours come up clearly in there? Through the power of the Spirit of God. And one more scripture. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. He said again, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. So this talk has focused on proclamation, our words, demonstration, our deeds. But isn't there something still missing? Shall we maybe call it manifestation? God's power. Could it be that we've been trying to ride a tricycle on only two wheels? So I'd like you to share with whoever is sitting near you, twos and threes, one thing that God has spoken to you about this morning and then to pray simply together that our words, our deeds and the power of God might be more evident in our own lives, in the life of our church, and in the life of the churches and believers across our town. Okay, let's do it. One thing that God has spoken to you about, and then pray together for words, deeds, and power together. No time to pray together, if you would, just very simply. One of you, two of you, three of you together in your groups.